Billy Ocean. It Thank is you. such a pleasure to meet you. And you have been in the entertainment business now for a number of years. So tell us, what is it that keeps you motivated? Being 66 years old now, it's time for me to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And sure. the point that you make people happy, yeah. what you do brings joy and pleasure to people. That, you know, that's, that's fabulous. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And of course, one of the big hits that everyone knows, regardless of your age, is when the going gets tough, right. tough get going. Yeah, yeah. And it's 30 years since that record was made, since you made the record. Can you tell us a little bit about when you made it at the time and, and what that sentiment meant to you? Well, it, it, the sentiment itself is, is something that I like to think it's inspiring. Mm -hmm. It was so inspiring that I believe I heard that it was used as an, as an anthem in South mm. Africa during the time of apartheid. Wow. So another really significant record for you is Caribbean Queen. Oh yeah. And um, you won the Grammy for Best Male R&B Vocal. That's right. Uh, you were the first British person to win that vocal as that's well, right. or that's win right. that Grammy. That's right. So significant. That's right. Tell us about how you felt at that time. For me it was a big deal because here I am really coming from the Caribbean, mm. growing up in England, getting a number one record in America. Mm. And not just that, but being voted best R&B singer. Mm. In a way, it's like taking sun to the Arabs, really. And so having this spirituality, and I, I also have read that your, your mother gave you a Bible just mm -hmm. before she died. I never really read it too much until when she passed away in 1989. Right. And my whole life changed, my whole concept of life, my mm. whole understanding of life changed. Mm. I became Rasta, I became vegetarian, mm -hmm. I got more involved in, the doctrine, mm -hmm. Bob Marley, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing changed. I even stopped making music for a while. Suddenly, life has new meaning to me. On your recent album, you have done a rendition yes. of these Many songs. people's songs, yeah. Many people's songs. Yeah. I have a handful here. <laughs> um, I would like to know what you think about the song, the right. significance of it, and perhaps the first time you heard it. If you right. can sum that up in a sentence, yes, I'll be try. challenging. I will try. <laughs> a change is going to come. Oh my God, well, it's, it's black people's history, isn't it? A change is going to come. Sam Cooke was singing that since I was a little boy, and we're still waiting for that change. Mm -hmm. No woman, no cry. I heard the story of Bob, No Woman, No Cry was um, Bob Marley when he got ill and he was consoling Rita mm -hmm. and he said to her, don't cry. Here you are. That's the, that's the original title, that's the only original song on mm -hmm. the, on the uh, you know, here you are, I'm presenting, the presentation is it, mm -hmm. here you are, here you are. Here you are. Thank you so much, it's been so wonderful to speak to you. Thank you Such very much, Jackie. Thank you. Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Legends of Sports and Music. This is your host, the original great Rob Silver. And today we are talking what about one of my favorite artists of the 1980s. This guy basically wrote and sung the soundtrack of my teenage years from when I was 16 years old until I was 21. 
Um, we're talking about the legendary Trini uh, Balladeer, the legendary British pop star, the one, the only, Billy Ocean. Ladies and gentlemen, first time I heard Billy Ocean was back in 1981. There was a song, and it was the song that I played at the very top of this podcast, a song that you heard before you heard Billy Ocean talk. This is another uh, podcast, ladies and gentlemen, in which you will hear several interviews throughout the podcast of the artist itself. That's why this podcast is titled Billy Ocean, the Caribbean King in his own words. The first time I heard Billy Ocean was back in 1981, summer of 81. 98.7 Kiss FM, legendary uh, soul and R&B music station that unfortunately went out of business about 15 years ago. And now it's uh, all sports ESPN talk radio. That's all we need is another goddamn sports talk radio program. Right now, only WBLS is still around as far as R&B soul stations. Um, radio is completely kaput. It's dead. It's dead when it comes to music because the hip-hop stations just play the same nationally sanctioned poison to our children, to the youth. The same trash is played day in and day out. Those are the so-called hip-hop and R&B stations where there's no R&B and the hip-hop is pathetic. But anyway, I digress. Summer of 81, I'm listening to BLS and all of a sudden I hear this great song, Nights Feel Like Getting Down. And I'm like, wow. I didn't hear who sang this song, but as you heard the song, it's a post-disco electro electro music type song and I was like I was floored I was like wow and every time I heard the song I wouldn't hear the disc jockey say that was Billy Ocean that was Billy Ocean uh I also ladies and gentlemen many a time I would be listening to music which I still do to this day but not the radio but back then I would listen to the radio while watching baseball while watching boxing, while uh, reading or studying, like in the fall of 81, whenever this song would come on, I would be doing my homework to the radio while listening to music on the radio. Then uh, a few months later, early 1982, I heard this song called, uh, what's the song? It's a song by Junior, which is very similar Tonight's feel like I feel like getting down. It was before Too Late Baby. It was before Too Late Baby. Bye bye. Junior had two huge hits in early 1982. One of them was Too Late Baby, but that was the second one. I'm trying to remember what the first one was. Too Late Baby. Bye bye. Now's my. So this song and the song that I played to begin, um, it was Mama used to say, take your time, young man. All right, so 
in early 1982, there was these two big hits from another British singer called Junior. Bomber used to say, take your time, young man, and too late, baby, bye-bye. So I'm 13 when 82 starts, and I'm 14 by the time I hear uh, too late. I'm 13 when, Mama's, when uh, Mama used to say comes out. And I'm thinking Junior was the guy who also sung Nights feel like getting down from the summer to fall of 1981 so i'm thinking it's junior with these three hits that's what i'm thinking and then i never heard junior on the radio again after too late baby uh mama's mama used to say and i assumed nights junior disappeared i never heard another song on the radio from junior then the fall of 1984, the song on the I hear the song called Caribbean Queen. And then I see the music video on both Friday Night Videos and New York's Hot Tracks on ABC, Friday Night Videos on NBC. I see the music video. And now I know it's this guy's name, Billy Ocean. And I'm like, you know, but he sounds a lot like Junior. During one of the music videos, Billy Ocean is, 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 he was on Friday Night Videos, and Billy Ocean mentioned that he hadn't had a hit since Nights. And I'm like, wait, that's, I thought that was Junior. No, that was Billy Ocean. And so I was like, oh, shit. There was a similar sound. And it only made sense, ladies and gentlemen, because they were both British, black British singers. Of course, um, Billy Ocean was nine years old when his family moved to England from Trinidad. He was born in Trinidad, but the music is British and Caribbean flavored, as you will see in Caribbean Queen. The song's called Caribbean Queen, and we'll talk more about that after we play Caribbean Queen. But now I put two and two together. Now I see Billy Ocean, and I'm going to talk more about Billy Ocean and the impression I had after hearing him speak, after hearing Caribbean Queen, and I'm going to talk about how in the fall of 1984 that that record exploded and it was the beginning of a five-year reign of Billy Ocean being not only the number one British R&B singer on the planet, but one of the 10 to 15 biggest acts in the in the world in the united states and the world in terms of pop music and that was monumental considering the era that billy ocean had his greatest success billy ocean had his greatest success during a boom period for pop music i'll talk more about that after we hear Billy Ocean talk, uh, talking to Dick Clark on American Bandstand about Caribbean Queen. We're going to play Caribbean Queen. And then when I come back, I'm going to talk about the song. I'm going to talk about what was going on in my life at the age of uh, 16 in the fall of 1984, attending high school at Graphic Communication Arts in New York City's Hell's Kitchen section. And I'm going to talk about... Uh, 
how Billy Ocean was able to succeed in one of the most pop-dominated eras in the history of music. All of that on the other side. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. You know, of all of the women I had to ask over there, what thought occurred to her in the Caribbean, she had no thoughts. What is the Caribbean like? What is the Caribbean? What is it like? It's beautiful sunshine, blue waters, nice people. Why, when you sat down to put this song together, would you have ever thought to call it European Queen? No idea, because I guess that's because I live in England. But didn't anybody advise you the other places, you know, more romantic or anything? <laughs> well, my manager's wife did, and that's why I changed it to Caribbean Queen. All right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, this album you made was made in London and in New York. Yes. Uh, why two places? Well, because, uh, first of all, I got the opportunity via my new, uh, new record label, the new uh, label that I'm signed to. Yeah. They offered me the opportunity to record in New York, and that's something I've always wanted to do. Did you know anybody there in terms of the background, singers, session musicians, what have you? No, I didn't, but the, uh, the one interesting thing about the, the initial stages of the project was that the producer is also from Trinidad. That's where I'm from as well. But he lived in New York. So he knew everybody. So he knew everybody. What's the importance of having men and women around you that you support you? I mean, do they make a big contribution? Oh, yeah. You, you're talking about the, uh, the, 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 the people involved in the project? Yeah. The musicians, mm -hmm. engineers. You get all the credit. I know it's unfair, really, because, you know, it's more than me that uh, makes the records. There's a lot of people involved. I'm, I was just surprised that you selected two places to work in. <laughs>
first time I heard Caribbean Queen in the fall of 1984, I was a junior in high school. I was 16 years old, attending New York City's Graphic Communication Arts, High School of Graphic Communication Arts, located between 49th Street and 50th Street, between 9th and 10th Avenue, close to the 10th Avenue, in the Hell's Kitchen section of New York City. Now, Hell's Kitchen back then does not look like what Hell's Kitchen looks like today. Today, Hell's Kitchen is f filled with condos and um, brownstones that are very, very expensive, all multi-million dollar rentals. Uh, you, uh, But the Hell's Kitchen back in September of 1984 were filled with winos, homeless, homelessness, and prostitution. It was just a few blocks away from Times Square, which in 1984 was at the height of his grimiest. Those old enough will remember. Those old enough that grew up in New York City, those from Generation X, those from my generation will remember just how seedy both Times Square and Hell's Kitchen were. First time I heard Caribbean Queen, I was blown away. And I saw the video. I was blown away. Here's this brown-skinned British slash Caribbean brother. I didn't know he was of Trini uh, descent. At this point in time, I just thought he was a black British brother. And this was right amongst the British invasion. This was at that point where you had the second British invasion in pop culture when it came to American music, American pop music. In the 1960s, early 60s to mid 60s, you had the Beatles, the Rolling Stones lead the charge of these great British bands and acts dominate pop music in America. Well, in the 1980s, you had the same thing. You had, uh, my ex-girlfriend just texted me. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Let me, let me do her this favor. I'm going to do, I'm going to do the podcast. I'm going to do the podcast while I'm answer her question. Hold on. It's a simple question. The, 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 the simple answer. It is yes. That's all I'm going to say. It's yes, it's the same. All right. Back to uh, back to regularly scheduled programming. Um, so in the early to mid 1980s, you had a British invasion in the United States that really exploded from 1983 onward. You had Duran Duran, Coach Club, Billy Ocean, um, um, and you, uh, Phil Collins, Genesis. It was amazing because they added that extra oomph when it came to pop music in America. It helped just um, 
it just helped bring the competition amongst the other great American artists that had to deal with these British artists in terms of record sales and radio play. Stepped it to another level. All right, all right. Um, tell him, give me a half hour. Give me a half hour and I will find it for you. Yeah, this is this is great podcasting. <laughs> All right. All right, enough of that. All right, back back to regularly scheduled programming. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. All right. All right. All right, good. All right, she thanked me. All right, back to the pot podcast. Caribbean so Caribbean Queen. Speaking of Caribbean queens, that's my former Caribbean queen. It's ironic how she texts me, my ex-girlfriend, who's from Trinidad. She texts me while I'm talking about the greatest pop star ever to come out of Trinidad in Billy Ocean. Life comes full circle, and life is full of ironies. All right, so competition. It became it, it, it made the competition more fierce, and it brought out the best of everybody. Uh, when uh, Caribbean Queen came out, Michael Jackson and Prince had dominated pop music in America, but they had competition from Culture Club, from Duran Duran, from The Police, and now from Billy Ocean. And now you had a black British pop star because all the other pop stars were white pop stars wham george michael you had a black british pop star who never really crossed over yeah his big dance hits were pop songs but later on you're going to hear his soulful r&b ballads his soul ballads which other than george michael none of uh and culture club culture club and george michael made some great soul ballads but out of all of them, in my opinion, Billy Ocean had the greatest soul ballads. And we'll talk all about that later on in the pod. Let's talk about Caribbean Queen and some of the lyrics. And she texted me at the right time because a song like this would refer to a woman like my ex. The very beginning of the song catches me because this is me. This is me back then. This is me today. She dashed by me in painted on jeans. He, Billy Ocean writing about a woman wearing tight jeans. So if he's, if he's there and all, and all heads turn cause she was the dream. That means that she was a woman with a banging ass, with a fat ass. She was a trainee or a Guyanese, or a Jamaican, fill in the blank, whatever uh, Caribbean island you want to put in. She was a beautiful woman with a, f with a fat ass. All heads turned because she was the dream. In the blink of an eye, I knew her number and her name. And then Billy Ocean, Continue. The rest of the song is singing the virtues of this Caribbean queen. 
And the hearts, they beat as one. No more love on the run. Now, ladies and gentlemen, my ear does not deceive me. I want you guys to listen to Caribbean Queen intently and listen to the similarities beat-wise, rhythm-wise, between Caribbean Queen and Billie Jean the song that came out almost two years prior that was a massive hit for Michael Jackson. This line, um, and our hearts, they beat us one, no more love on the run. Um, Billie Jean, but the child, but the kid is not my son. <laughs> and then you... The same rhythmic beat that you hear in Billie Jean. Now, I don't know if the musicians on this album, on this song, did this on purpose. But uh, I can't help but keep thinking keep thinking that. I can't help. It, it keeps popping into my head. I Just now when we played it, I was like, oh, wow. So I don't know. 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 If you look at the credits of this song, Caribbean Queen, and the hearts just beat as one. If you look at the credits of this song, of course, Billy Ocean wrote this song because you'll hear later on in the podcast, Billy Ocean mentioned that he wrote every song except one song in his lifetime that he recorded. That one song is a classic Beatles song that he bodied. And we'll be talking about that song. Don't worry. We'll be talking about that song. <laughs> we'll be talking about that song. All right. When you look at the musicians, the late, great Keith Diamond played the synthetic bass and the drums. You had uh, Barry Eastman, who's still around, making music with Billy Ocean today. He was on the keyboards and the synthesizers and the string arrangements. So, were they, uh, were they, uh, were they responsible for having that similar melody to beat it? Now, I'm not accusing anybody of, of thievery, all right? Um, I once had a music teacher tell me that sometimes songs could be interpreted as being similar with, with the beat, but that there's just so many different melodies a person can use in an up-tempo song, and whether it's rock, R&B, uh, uh, country. You run out of... You run out of... Uh, type of you run out of melodies you run out of them you run out of them so um it's understandable that's what the music teacher told me all right miss gibson eighth grade music teacher in, in jh at junior high school 123 in the bronx back in 1982 so i don't know i don't know all i know is i hear this song and i know keith diamond and billy ocean wrote the majority of this album and um, they wrote uh, they wrote Caribbean Queen, 
and Keith Diamond and Barry Eastman, longtime collaborator, were also uh, involved in producing and doing the instrumentation for most of this song. So we'll see. And we'll talk more about Keith Diamond. We're going to talk a lot about Barry Eastman, Keith Diamond, and the late great Wayne Brathwaite. Brathwaite. I apologize for butchering his name. Wayne Brathwaite. And I should not butcher Wayne's name because he has the same name as a former boxer from Jamaica who died young. And Keith Brathwaite died way too young. But you're going to see Billy Ocean, despite his pop success, use the same musicians and collaborators who had a similar background to the legendary Billy Ocean. We'll talk more about that later on in the podcast. But regardless of the similarities similarities between Caribbean Queen and um, Beat It, what I loved about this, what I loved about this record is the catchy beat, the the infectious uh, 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 melodies, the infectious lyrics, and Billy. I instantly became a fan of Billy Ocean because here was a man describing his love for Black Caribbean women. When you hear that song, he could only be describing a Black in a Black West Indian woman, a Black Caribbean woman. She walked, she dashed by me with painted on jeans. Amazing. 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 And so when you hear Billy Ocean's uh, singing about women, it's always with love and respect, admiration. And it all comes back to one woman. And we'll talk about her throughout the entire podcast. Because Billy Ocean was a one-woman man. And another reason why I so admire him. And we'll talk more about that later on. Right now, we're going to hear Billy Ocean. Talk about that woman. Talk about the woman that I just referred to. We're going to play Loverboy. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about the greatness of that music video, Loverboy. And I will expand on Billy talking about that one special woman in his life. And I'll compare it to my parents on the other side. You see, we were all there on those dance yeah, floors in the 80s, yeah. dancing yeah. to and that. Clearly, they still can't sing a note. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. Oh, I'm so glad to be of service. I'm so glad oh. to be of service. That must feel nice, isn't it, when you were standing down there and everyone's up and they all know the words mm, and I the know, moves was, to the dance. I was actually dancing to my own music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a very sad person. Oh. <laughs> was so great for you, wasn't it? Because oh, yeah. of the people who were obviously oh, we God, saw yeah. there, yeah. your backing right. singers. My backing singers. I mean, no one else can say they had Danny DeVito, Michael Douglas, and Kathleen. Yeah. yeah. Did they actually 
actually sing? Or were they well, they, they might as well have been singing because they, they really learnt well, all the parts. They, and yeah. they, were, they were singing, literally, yeah. they were singing. I mean, they were, they were more than just lip syncing. They oh. really went through Sherry the was quite disappointed this morning because she thought they were right. going to ask us all to dress up in white suits. <laughs> yes, <and they're> <laughs> <doing> <laughs> it. She was all ready. Great. We'd have loved it. <laughs> but isn't lovely. it fantastic that everybody remembers all your songs? Oh. Everybody, yes, uh, wherever you go, they yeah, all remember. That, that is a blessing. I don't know why. And all the babies that you must have not born yourself. All the babies that were born to your music, not literally to your music. <laughs> <laughs> Get comments um, like uh, oh, Billy um, suddenly was played at my daughter's wedding or my oh, wedding, oh. and Billy, um, yeah, we conceived our child in Caribbean Queen. I think. <laughs> Promises <laughs> that we have service. You know, you have all the fun. You know. You're <laughs> <laughs> a real family man. You know, we were talking about marriage earlier. Yeah. You've been married for what, over 35 years. You know, I've lost count. You know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, my wife was 13, I was 15. Yeah. And, wow. and we got, you know, we got friends together and we turned and eventually we got married. And So I really, I really don't remember or don't know how long. Yeah, I don't think it's important. The important thing is we're still together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were talking earlier about having a break. Well, obviously, you, you took a career break at one stage, yeah. but you're back touring now. But yeah. do you think that going away and touring and coming back home has helped your marriage? It's strengthened I'm sure it helps. Life. I'm mm. sure it helps, yeah. I'm sure it helps. I mean, I heard you talking about the, yeah, the break, the marriage break. Well, I don't know. I think marriage is something that you have to work on. Every day Constantly, is... Yeah, yeah. You have to work at it every day. Um, you know, I, I, I'll be... F Terrified of a marriage break, suppose she finds somebody else. <gasps> oh, she wouldn't. Well, you don't know, do you? Who's going to sing know. to her? No one's going to no. sing to her like you. Some, <laughs> some, some handsome guy might walk. Maybe. Suppose I find somebody else. I don't oh. know. But, you know, no, I don't know. Seriously, I just, I think that you have to stick at it. Then my grandchild would be saying, Gran oh. Granny, where's Granddad? Yeah. Or Granddad, where's Granny? I don't know. I think it's it's really something you have to work at. Mm. And your daughter works with you as well, doesn't she? My other daughter, so. yeah, she sings with me, and I'm really pleased about that. That to me is. Uh, That's exciting. Your yeah. album. Yeah. So here. there's two CDs here. It's this is called album, Billy yeah. Ocean. Here you are, the best yeah. of. But yeah. it isn't a normal best of, is it? Because the first CD is is kind of covers that you've done. Yeah, well, it's more than covers. It's like rendition of people's songs. Favourite Yeah, they're, they're, them songs are more than covers. Yeah. Them songs are songs that inspired me while I was growing up. My father used to be a musician, and my father bought this little one-day Philips radio. I don't know where he got it from. No. <laughs> we never had any money. <laughs> anyway, he came one day with this radio, and the first little Philips gold, gold cloth at the front on and off switch. This is when I was a, a child in Trinidad. And the first song that he, when we switched on the radio, was uh, Brooke Benton's Time in the River. Oh, yeah. And after that, I got tuned into people like Sam Cooke and Frank Sinatra, mm -hmm. um, Nat King Cole, all these different people. Um, so I grew up, I didn't realize how much I was taking in of this music, mm. how much I was interested in music. So having the opportunity to record these songs, I did, yeah. and I remembered a lot of them. I 
had a, I made a selection of about 30 songs and selected 12. So they all uh, mean something to oh, yeah. you? Oh, yeah, yeah, things like... And what about the change. photograph on the front? I've got to show you this. That's me, this says Billy. Can you get him closer 11, on that? 11 year old, that 11 year old. So, yeah, yeah, close on that, yeah. And did that 11-year-old ever know oh, there that is. this was going to happen? No, that 11-year-old was always dreaming about doing exactly what I'm doing now. There you go. Mm. Really, I mean, <coughs> honestly. Well, what you're doing now is a 19-day UK tour. Mm. Yeah. Right more, through to think, July. Yeah. Uh, Billy Ocean, yeah. here you are, is out now. Thank you. Uh, Billy Ocean, thank you very much. <laughs> Some pretty fabulous guests here on Loose Women. There's plenty more where that came from. Just click here to watch more interviews with a whole range of famous faces. And click here to subscribe. It's free. So you'd be silly not to, really. You're putting your water into a loose woman. Uh. <laughs> Lovely. Sounds good to me. Smooth. That's a joke for the ranch right there. <laughs>
and the man that he is I've grown to admire him more as a man than as an entertainer as a singer um man he is every bit as great in his personal life as he is as a singer songwriter and performer as you heard on the interview he met his wife when she was 13 and he was 15 my parents were 14 when they met, right? And they were friends at first. Eventually, they got married at 18. Um, I believe that Billy and his wife were married in 1976, so they would have been respectfully 26 and 24 years old. And today, they are still married. This will mark, 2024 will mark the 48th wedding anniversary for and they're not the oceans i believe billy ocean's real name is leslie charles matter of fact let me double check and make sure i'm right um billy ocean wasn't born billy ocean he was born he was born leslie sebastian charles in in where what town was he born in uh Faisabad, Faisabad, trinidad and tobago I apologize to all my uh, Trini listeners out there, my Caribbean listeners, if I butcher that name. Look, I only dated a Trini woman for eight and a half years. I'm not Trini. <laughs> anyway, but they didn't meet in Trinidad because he was nine when his parents moved to England. He met her while as a 15-year-old boy teenage boy in England. She was a 13-year-old teenage girl. And as mentioned in the interview I played prior to Loverboy, prior to this segment, that's the love of his life. He doesn't believe in loose women the whole nine. And I know in the 1980s, women must have been throwing themselves at Billy Ocean. Because Billy Ocean, like I mentioned, from 1984 to 1989, was one of the 10 to 15 biggest pop stars on the planet look i lived it i know i was 16 when lover boy and caribbean queen came out 
in the fall of 1984. And I saw this man with his music videos and all these hit records he had, these all these hit records that I'll be playing on this podcast. And he was selling out tours all over the world. He was an international star. To this day, still probably the biggest Trini pop star that ever lived. Trini R&B star that ever lived. Um, the closest when it comes to R&B soul music would probably be Heather Headley. Now, if you want to say Nicki Minaj is a pop pop artist, then she's bigger as a Trini as a Trini native than Billy Ocean. If you just if you discount her as being a pop star and just an MC, then Billy Ocean is bigger than Nicki Minaj. It's all about perception. But one thing I won't argue: Nicki Minaj is the biggest artists ever to come out of Trinidad, period, as far as when you look at America. But there is a Trini artist that is considered the Michael Jackson of Trinidad, and I was put onto this by my ex and uh, guys that have worked for me from both Grenada and Trinidad. The brother's name is, uh, let me make sure I get his name right because I'm always butchering his name. Marcel, Mars. What's what's the brother's name? He's a he's a he's a international soca star. Michelle Montano, Michelle Montano, however you say his name, Michelle Michelle Montano. He might be internationally bigger than them all because you know what? I am not sure. It would be up to you guys to uh. To, to let me know, Michelle Montano might be the biggest out of all of them. We're talking about Michelle, Nikki, Foxy Brown, Heather Headley, and Billy Ocean. Billy Ocean and Michelle internationally, probably on the same level. Michelle might have surpassed Billy. Look, all I know is for the eight and a half years that I was dating my ex girlfriend, Vonette. Her and her friends, and all not all her friends were Trini. She had Jamaican and and Guyanese and, and others, but whole families from Grenada and or Trinidad. They loved this man. And I see him selling out uh, uh, concerts all over the world, uh, stadiums all over the world. So, you can make the argument that Billy Ocean set the standard for Nicki Minaj, a Foxy Brown, and a Michelle Montano, Heather Headley, to follow as in his Trini footsteps. The man loves his wife 100%. Unadulterated love, unconditional love for his wife. And as mentioned in the interview that I played, She's the inspiration behind all his love songs. And if you notice, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice this. I'm playing, I think I'm playing 13 songs on this podcast. Let me see. I'm playing 13 songs. Look how many songs have love in it. Lover Boy. Love Zone. Love is Forever. The Color of Love. That's four songs with the word love in it. Those aren't the only ballads I'll be playing. 
It's Never Too Late to Try, Mystery Lady, Suddenly, There'll Be Sad Songs to Make You Cry. This is a very romantic man, and he's inspired by his unconditional love for his wife, the love of his life. They are still together. They were 13 and 15 years old when they met. That means this year, matter of fact, I'm recording this on January 16th. In five days, Billy Ocean will turn 74 years old, I believe. Let me double check his date of birth. I'm doing everything off the top of my head, but I have I have I have the Yup. Cause he was born January twenty first, nineteen fifty. I'm recording this on January sixteenth. So as of this recording, he's five days shy of his seventy fourth birthday. That means he has known his wife for fifty nine years. They've been married. This year will be forty eight years. The love of his life. His lifetime partner and his desire, his love, his want of her is reflected in all the love songs that you hear. And even the up-tempo up beats like Caribbean Queen and Loverboy and Nights. The first three songs I played are all up-tempo beats, up-tempo songs, up-tempo dance songs. He's making that music while thinking of his wife. Because as he mentioned, as I mentioned on the podcast, as he will mention, he wrote every song in his discography except one. And we'll be playing that song later on. The Beatles classic song, Long and Winding Road. Of course, he had great collaborators, uh, Keith Diamond, Barry Eastman, and... Uh, Wayne Brathwaite. On this song, Lover Boy, I want to be your lover, lover, lover boy. <laughs> By the way, even Caribbean Queen has the word love in it because it's Caribbean Queen, no more love on the run, run, run. <laughs> this is beautiful. Lover Boy was co-written by Billy Ocean, Keith Diamond, and the South African legendary songwriter and musician Robert Lang, who was once married to Shania Twain. Wow. 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 Yeah. I think he's, he's he was much older than her, too, but, you know, I'm not going to judge right now. I don't know what the math is. Uh, hopefully it fit within the uh, half my age plus seven. We'll see. I don't know. I, I'll leave that lost story for another day. But uh, one thing that was age appropriate was Billy Ocean and his wife because they were only two years apart as grade school kids, grade school teenagers, middle school, whatever they call it out there in England. He was 15. She was 13. They met. And as he mentioned, he loves her. He loves her dearly. And um, Google pictures of Billy Ocean and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Charles. Just check it out. Uh, they're a beautiful couple. They're, they've aged. They both aged gracefully. I mean, I love the way Billy looks today with the gray goatee and the locks. Really fits in with him being a Rasta, Rastafarian. Um, he he uh, follows that religion and that way of life, and he's also a vegetarian. We'll talk more about that later on in the podcast. But Billy Ocean is like me. 
he has not only the love of his woman, he has the love of his mother. And when she passed away in 1989, it really broke his heart. We'll talk more about that towards the end of the podcast because that was one of the contributing factors in him taking a sabbatical from music. But we'll talk about that later on. Let's talk about the video Loverboy. I love this video. This video Loverboy sort of was like, to me, was like a, uh, uh adaptation of the movie Time Bandits that I believe Sean Connery started around that time. Great video. Few, uh, looked like they were on another planet uh, with these uh, creatures. And there's Billy in a fly-ass suit with his jerry curls and his and his goatee, which he admitted to dying black for many years with shoe polish because he had a premature gray goatee. But eventually... He he uh, stopped dying and he just let it let it hang out. But you see Billy Billy Ocean with the Jerry curls, the mustache, the goatee, and that fly ass suit he's wearing, and he's doing his two step. I want to be your lover, lover, lover boy. Infectious tune, another massive hit for Billy Ocean, and off this album, the Suddenly album. Billy Ocean had already stamped his mark with these two songs as a huge member of that British invasion. Let's look at it again, because I keep forgetting names. You had the police, Duran Duran, uh, Culture Club, Billy Ocean, Sade, uh, Genesis, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel. The Man, you had an incredible influx of of British talent come to America, the British invasion of the 1980s, and it gave pop music and music in general a huge jolt because post-disco, after disco died, the music industry was in a slump. But beginning in 1982 with uh, the Thriller release and great albums by Lionel Richie and Marvin Gaye, and then Culture Club, and then The Police in 83, Madonna in 83, and then The British Invasion, Sade in 84, Billy Ocean in 84. You had Duran Duran in 83, slash 84. All these, uh, wham, all these acts came out. And in conjunction with MTV, pop music was at an all-time high, and in my opinion, the greatest era of pop music was between 1982 and 1990 before alternative rock and hip hop took over as the main mainstream genres for music. It was pop music before then. Today, pop music is on, is on top right now, but it's not the same. Radio stations aren't the same. Radio is all but dead. Everything's streaming. Music videos are dead. Uh, we're living in a different world today. And the music is much more uh, sanitized, unfortunately. You know, the, the, the pop queens of today, Ariana Grande, Taylor Swift, yeah, they're massive. But um, they don't have the same flavor that the great pop artists of the 1980s, like Whitney Houston, like Madonna, like Tina Turner, had. No, they don't. 
Taylor Swift can go out and sell out concerts all over the world, but she really doesn't have any competition. In the 1980s, Billy Ocean had to compete with Phil Collins, Sade, Whitney Houston, Wham, Michael Jackson, Prince, Duran Duran, Culture Club, Paul McCartney. That's just a few names off the top of my head. Today's competition in the pop music world is minuscule compared to the pop culture, the pop music artists of the 1980s. All right, let's see what's up next here on this edition of the Legends of Sports and Music, the tribute to the great British Trini legend, Billy Ocean. Let's see what's next. Let me go up to the to the playlist. We just played Loverboy. We're going to hear another Dick Clark American Bandstand interview with Billy Ocean. Then we're going to hear two great ballads. Suddenly and Mystery Lady, and we will talk more about these these songs expressing the love that Billy Ocean has for his beautiful wife. We'll talk all about it, ladies and gentlemen, on the other side. We're going hopping, hop. we're going hopping today, when things are popping, hop. I feel the Delphi way, we're going to drop in, drop on all the music they play on the bandstand, bandstand. Oh. As you can see, you are amongst friends. I was just teasing these kids, they're all off on vacation, they're going crazy. You're in the studio sweating, working your little fingers and tonsils to the bone here. Um, did you? Yes, but I mean, that's what you enjoy. Do you remember very early in your life the first personal appearances you ever made? Where did you do them? You mean uh, in my professional career? Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, places where you got paid to perform. Where I got paid to perform. I've been doing a lot of places. Before this, say about a year and a half ago, I wasn't really doing very much. So I was working, in, uh, working to half playback in, in Europe, Germany, France, Holland, Belgium. Sometimes I'd turn up to the gigs and there'd be about two or three people there. Really what does it do to your head? Well, I knew why I was doing it. I was doing it hopefully to reach to the stage like I am now. So. Does that experience reflect on what I said over there, that you are a gentleman, you appreciate what's happened to you? Oh, very much so. Very I mean, you've so. had an extraordinary year. I mean, it's a big year. <laughs> I mean, you could, you could have a head this big and an ego to fill this room, but you don't. How do you keep that under control? You work so hard. Because uh, it's really respecting. It's, it's not taking what I've got for granted for a start and really respect for what I'm doing and respect for the people that's around me. I well, think that's very important. I love your attitude. I wish, we could, I wish we could all absorb it. Now, when this album is done, the one that you're working on, will it be a, a potpourri of different things, all sorts of kinds of music? It'll be very much uh, the same, I suppose, formula, for want of a better word, as, a, as I've got in the last album. Well. You know, rock and roll, ballads, whatever. Describe so. this next song. <laughs> this next song is a, is a song entitled Mystery Lady. And it has a little taste of, uh, I don't know, what, what is the rhythm? What is it called? It's a mixture of sort of West Indian rhythm, calypsos, a bit of uh, American uh, R&B, I suppose, a bit of European. It's a bit this, of, it's like me, mixed up. This is your secret, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Ocean.
used to think that love was just a fairy tale Until that first hello Until that first smile But if I had to do it all again I wouldn't change a thing Cause this love is everlasting Suddenly Suddenly you're in love Ooh, yeah. Girl, you're everything a man could want and more One thousand words are not enough To say what I feel inside Holding hands as we walk along the shore Never felt like this before Now you're all I'm living for Suddenly And suddenly you're in love Each day I pray This love affair would last forever Suddenly Life has new meaning to me Suddenly you're in love Ooh, There's beauty up above Things we never take no Hey, mystery lady, 
Can I spend the night with you? Can I have your number? Whoa. I'd be anything you want me to. Ooh, we ought to get something started. Ooh, I can tell. So very well. He has left you broken hearted. It's time to start mending your heart. Before I get into both the great ballads, Suddenly and Mystery Lady, I want to give credit to the co-writer and producer of this entire album, Keith Diamond. And I mentioned earlier, the main collaborators in Billy Ocean's career was first Keith Diamond, then Barry Eastman and Wayne Brathwaite. 
What I loved about his collaborations with Keith Diamond is Keith Diamond was a fellow Trini who moved to London at a young age, just like the legendary Billy Ocean. So you had these two young, because I believe they were both born, yeah, they were both born in 1950. So you had these two men in their early to mid-30s get together and come up with an incredible album and suddenly with incredible dance hits and incredible ballads. These two men from similar backgrounds, they both born in Trinidad, both moved to England at a young age, both got their start in music in England, and then they make this incredible crossover album but they never abandoned their soul roots. Billy Ocean was always a soul singer, an R&B singer. Keith Diamond produced several R&B songs for several artists over the years. Suddenly is the standout ballad of this album. You wake up and suddenly... You're in love. I used to think, man, let's look at some of these lyrics, man, because this is some deep song writing. I mean, unreal. The, the songwriting on this album is poetic. Billy Ocean was a poet, period. Period. <laughs> I love it. I'm looking up these lyrics right now. I want to get these lyrics correct. You wake up and suddenly... Let's get these lyrics because this is amazing ballad. And this ballad was played on every type of radio station in New York City in the 1980s. WBLS played it. I'm talking about 1985, early 1985. WBLS played it during their regular rotation and on the Quiet Storm. Kiss, F Kiss FM had it in their regular rotation. Uh, Z100, the number one pop station on the planet in 1985 was playing it all the time. And there was a ra radio station, WPIX-FM, PIX 101, Nothing But Love Songs, 101.9 on your FM dial. And suddenly was part of what, what uh, WPIX-FM, PIX-FM, PIX 101, Nothing But Love Songs would do all day is they would play top 40 adult contemporary love songs and suddenly was a huge hit among amongst that uh demographic along with james ingram and jeffrey osborne and george benson that was those were the type of artists that people over the age of 35 because that's adult contemporary is basically 35 and up you know i'm me I'm 50, I'll be 56 in May, but I was born in old soul. In 1984, I was listening to Pick's Nothing But Love songs in 1985 and 1986. I was listening to that station as as often as I could. Like if BLS and Hot... and There was no Hot 97 back there. I don't even know why that fucking came up in my, 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 um, in my memory. Kiss FM and BLS... Sometimes on a Sunday night, yes, not sometimes, all the time would play uh, what you call it a public affairs programming. So I was switch 
to nothing but love songs, PIX, and they would be playing ballad after ballad. And it wasn't just soul ballads. They play country ballads. They play pop ballads, rock ballads, whatever was part of that adult contemporary top 40 radio radio play. And I want to see exactly what suddenly did as far as the charts goes, because I know that they did huge in the United, adult contemporary. I just mentioned the adult contemporary charts. They went to number one on the adult contemporary charts and number four on the Billboard pop charts. And what did they do with, and in the R&B charts, they went to number five. This was a massive hit. Number five on the R&B charts, number four on the pop charts, and number one on the adult contemporary charts, which is what WPLJ and picks nothing but love songs were playing adult contemporary music. Suddenly was the standout ballad of this album, and it was a massive hit, and it helped garner Billy Ocean at the next Grammy Awards. 1986 Grammy Awards, Billy Ocean won Best Male Vocalist for an RB song for Caribbean Queen. And I believe suddenly helped him win an American Music Award. So suddenly was the perfect third single to come after you had two great up-tempo beat uh, songs in Caribbean Queen and Loverboy. Now you see how versatile an artist Billy Ocean is. Like a, like a Prince, like a Michael Jackson, like a George Michael like a culture club, like uh, Paul McCartney at this point in time, like a Phil Collins. He could do a great dance song and he could rip it with a great ballad. And you know what? That voice. You have the blending of his, tri of his native Trini accent, the British accent that he grew up obtaining, and then you put that together with that magical voice that could be a baritone or a tenor, and he could sing anything. He would have been a massive calypso or soccer star or reggae star if he decided to focus on that instead of soul music, pop music, R&B music. Mystery Lady, another song written by Billy Ocean and Keith Diamond, produced by Keith Diamond. It's about a it's about a man who, who who meets this woman whose heart has been broken. This song relates to my my entire life because every single woman I've ever dated since uh, 1987 had their heart broken by the man before me, and I was there to pick up the pieces. Mystery lady, and in the background, the back one of the main background vocalists, backup singers on this song is the legendary. Lisa Fisher, who is the goat of background singers. And, of course, she only had one solo album, and that solo album helped her win a Grammy. And she has the classic How Can I Ease the Pain phenomenal song. Lisa Fisher, Luther Vandross's favorite backup singer, Mick Jagger's favorite backup singer. She got her start working with Billy Ocean and Keith Diamond on this album. The Suddenly album. You hear her in the background of Mystery Lady, Lady and throughout the entire album. 
Caribbean Queen, she's singing the chorus. I could talk all day about Billy Ocean's voice, the poet he is in writing love ballads, and we will continue to do that as we continue to move along. Because we're going to hear another interview with Billy Ocean, and then I'm going to talk about my all-time favorite Billy Ocean. I, 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 I'm applauding and giving all the platitudes to Billy Ocean for his incredible songwriting and for him being a great poet. But in my opinion, his greatest song, my favorite song, was a remake of a Beatles song written by Paul McCartney and John Lennon. A Long and Winding Road. I'm going to talk about the Beatles version in comparison to Billy Ocean's version. After we play an interview with Billy Ocean and we play the long, A Long and Winding Road, we'll talk all about it on the other side. Billy Ocean, welcome to the project. Good morning. I never got your name. My name's Waleed. Waleed. You did very well. You, I don't know if you, <laughs> have you met many Waleeds in your life? No, I've never met with you. The first Waleed I've met in my whole life. Can I can I ask you? Don't meet another one because I, I want to remain the best. I'm the only one, right? Yeah. Uh, let's go with that for now. <laughs> I think it's a relatively popular okay. name in some parts of the world. <laughs> so you're performing all or you. Great hits and your favourites. Is there a crowd favourite that you know is just going to go off every time? Well, I hope within the selection, there's their favourites for everybody because they're all hits. Get out of my dream, get into my car, love a boy, you know, um, love really hurts. Yeah, I mean, there's enough there for everybody. Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car. I mean, what a song and what a line. Everyone at the time was singing it endlessly. This was 35 years ago. It turns 35 this year. Can you believe it's 35 years old? I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was I was, I was, uh, I was 73 about when? The 21st of January. Uh, you know, where'd the time go? Can a 73-year-old still say, get out of my dreams, get into my car? Of course. I know she still has the, the ambition, Yeah. the youthful... The energy, the strength, whatever you want to call it, yeah. Would you say your car's a nicer car now? Yeah, by far. A much more respectable car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. I'm not sure that's in keeping with the song, but I like that you said it. Hey, um, so that was 1988. You were, like, one of the huge voices and faces of, of the 80s. It seemed like such a special time. It seems to me like that is the happiest decade. Do you... Did you find that? By far. By far. I mean, I just think that that period was the best was the best period of our lives. You know, between the 60s to the 90s, early 90s. Um, you know, we had everything really. The music was better. Ah. The music was a lot better. Music was made by people, not not by machines. Um, oh man, everything was better. Parties were better. People behaved better. Everything, everything. in Trinidad and grew up in the UK, leaving one glaringly obvious question. Who do you support in the cricket? Well, I've, I've, you know, I have to support the Caribbean, haven't I? 
the West ah. Indies. Especially, you know, there was a day when the West Indies was unbeatable, as you know. Yes. Can I just join some dots here? The 80s was the happiest, the best decade. You were at your pomp right. in the 80s. The West Indies are the greatest cricket team ever. Would it have been better if the world just ended in the 80s? <laughs> no. No, because if the world had ended, I wouldn't be here speaking to you and you wouldn't be here speaking to me. That's a very good point. Um, what's the thing you're most proud of in your career? Uh, you know, the, one of the biggest things for me was a dream that I had, and, and it came true, you know, success in America. And I was looking at America, the big, you know, the big pie, and I, I did, I was successful there. My life has always been made up of plans and dreams. I would like to do this. I wish to God I could do this. Please, God, can I do this? And once you, once you sort of, it's almost like a case of, at that particular time, I sort of, after having the success in America, I sort of ran out of dreams. If I had to do it all again, I wouldn't change a thing. Mm. What song is that? What song oh, is that? Oh, don't do this to me. You're going to quiz me? I'm going to have to start <laughs> quizzing you about cricket history now if we're going to if we're going to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> you suddenly, right? Yes. But if I had to do it all again, I wouldn't change a thing. Suddenly, I did that in Australia, in your country. Ah. Yeah, myself and my guitarist, an acoustic um, thing of it. And it's probably, I think it's now had something like about 10 or 12 million hits or something like that. So really, thank you, Australia, for that. <laughs> well, thank you for coming to Australia. It'll be great to see you again. I'm so glad thank the you. dream has come back. It's been revived and <laughs> you're going to pay the visit to <laughs> us. And uh, let's dream about that West Indies yeah. revival, hey? Right, I'm looking forward to that. You know, maybe, yeah, who knows? Who knows what can happen? Anything can happen, right? Anything can happen. You know, anything can happen. I just saw my favourite team in England got beaten by 7-0. And Liverpool beating Man United. Ridiculous. So, okay. madness. I'm a Liverpool supporter and this is the greatest thing that's actually ever happened in my life. So I think, do I have to end this interview now? Or are we, are we just going to have a big fight now? Is that what's about to happen? At this point, Billy and I did a long and winding deep dive into the Liverpool-Manchester United feud, which I found endlessly fascinating, but the boss thought was a little niche. Seven. Seven goals. Seven. A few moments later... I used to be a Liverpool fan. What? I did. I wanted hey, one. Sorry, you can't... That's not... You're not allowed to... You can't... If you can't go from a Liverpool fan to a Man U, that doesn't, that's just not allowed. One eternity later. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but the world's always better when Man U loses. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> hey, Billy, uh, this conversation went in all kinds of places. I had no idea we were going to. It's been such a joy. I know, me neither. Can't wait me to neither. see you uh, come to our shores, and thanks very much for the chat. God bless you. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. I, I look forward to seeing you in Australia. I look forward to seeing you, too. I'll give you a little push, chat. OK, bye-bye. Oh, yeah, that chat had a life of its own. It really did. And how great were the 80s, by the way? For all the info on how you can catch Billy's bonanza of a show, please head to our website. Baby, don't leave me. Waiting here Lead me to your door
As a child in the 1970s, and I'm talking between when I was nine years old in 1977 until 1979-1980, George Michael, not the George Michael of Wham! and pop culture fame, but George Michael was a 1970s New York City disc jockey on WABC Radio who later would uh, gain even more claim to fame as the host of George Michael's Sports Machine that used to air on syndication late late Sunday nights in which he would show highlights of sports throughout the week, including professional wrestling. Well, in the mid to late 70s, he had the number one uh, drive time uh, radio program during the day from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. And he would end the, pro the program with the Beatles version of the original version written by Paul McCartney and John, uh, and John Lennon, A Long and Winding Road. That song was written by Paul McCartney and John Lennon to illustrate the tension that was going on amongst the Beatles. And it would be their final single. Their final record that was released, I believe, early 1970, right after they broke up. And they never reunited. Uh, unfortunately, John Lennon was murdered a decade later. And uh, Paul McCartney and George Harrison and Ringo Starr never were able to reform the group. Because if John Lennon is gone, I know you still got Paul McCartney, but there's no Beatles without either John or Paul. The Long and Winding Road sounds like a funeral song. Sounds like a song that you're mourning a loved one. No, it was Paul and, and John mourning the loss of this group that redefined American music. Remember, to be honest with you, you can make a claim that the Beatles are the fathers of pop music. When they exploded onto the scene in the mid-60s, the, the, the original British invasion, you had rock and roll, soul, jazz, country. Was there pop music? Now, I was born in 68, so I wouldn't know. I'm, this is me theorizing that the Beatles were the forefathers of pop music. I know you you people probably out there scream, what about Elvis? Well, Elvis was called the king of rock and roll, even though I don't believe he deserves that title because there was other rock and rollers that Elvis mimicked their style. That's another discussion for another day. But let's just go with the general term that Elvis was considered the king of rock. I hate saying that, but, you know. And then so the godfather soul is James Brown. Who's... Now, I know they call Michael Jackson the king of pop today, and deservedly so, the greatest pop artist of all time, pop icon of all time. But who laid the groundwork for pop music? I'm going to make the claim that the Beatles did. If you don't agree with me, or if you have other uh, artists that you believe were the forefathers of pop music before the Beatles, Holler me at, on Twitter, Legends of S82332, 
Or email me, robertsilver57 at hotmail.com. This is just me talking off the cuff here. <laughs> the Beatles revolutionized music. You cannot, you cannot argue that. They came to the United States and they were instant uh, rock stars. They were instant pop culture icons. The women lost their fucking mind over John and Paul. Okay. Um, George and Ringo, I'm not sure. But I know John and Paul were the ones that the women. I know my mother told me she was a teenage girl that uh, when she went to Norman Thomas High School. And she was attending Norman Thomas High School when the Beatles invaded America. She said all the white girls were uh, damn near coming on themselves. Talking about John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> My mother was more of a Jackie Wilson. Uh, she well, she she loved her some Jackie Wilson. She never dug Elvis or the Beatles. They 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 weren't her cup of tea musically or physically. You know, Jackie Wilson was more her cup of tea. But she did say that you know the white girls at Norman Thomas High School in Manhattan were infatuated with uh were infatuated with um and they weren't known it wasn't Norman Thomas at the time. Uh they were known as Central Commercial High School at that time. Uh, my mother's high school degree says class of nineteen sixty six Central Commercial. They then became Norman Thomas a few years later. Uh that would be the school my sister would graduate from, uh, my younger sister Christine. Um but Back to uh, back to uh, uh, the long and winding road. A, ma a masterpiece of a song. As a kid, I heard this song every night on the radio. That it would end uh, George Michael's uh, radio show. The disc jockey George Michael, the sports rep uh, announcer George Michael, not the iconic 1980s, 1990s British pop star, British legend. I heard the song every night, and I heard the sadness in their voices. The way, along, the the way Paul sang that song, it was as though he was on the verge of tears. So, early 1985, I buy the Suddenly cassette, the Suddenly album on cassette, and I see that there's a version of a Long and Winding Road. Even though my mother didn't fuck with the Beatles, she loved that song. She loved The Long and Winding Road. That was her favorite Beatles song. And it's the only Beatles song I truly love. And so I showed my mother, I said, look, Billy Ocean did a remake of Long and Winding Road. And my mom was like, well, this could go either way. With his voice, he could sing his ass off. He could either make it his own or make it to in which... Nobody wants to hear that shit. So I went, I fast forwarded uh, on, on my tape deck to that, uh, to that portion of the album. And my mother and I listened to it and we were blown the fuck away. The way Billy Ocean exerts his emotion on this song is a master class in singing a sad song. Don't you leave me standing here. Oh, 
he, you want to fight the tears when he sings this song. I mean, he, and it, this is my all-time favorite Beatles song, and it's my all-time favorite. It's my all-time favorite Billy Ocean song. And he's got a lot of great, I love Love Is Forever and Suddenly, and there'll be sad songs. And we'll talk about the, the those songs we haven't talked about yet. We'll talk on, on the rest of the podcast, but. The way he goes, many times I've been alone, many times I've cried. Anyway, you'll never know the many ways I've tried. I think he is envisioning losing his wife. And that's where he gets the sadness in his voice, the, the emotion in his voice from. He's channeling, what if he ever lost his wife? What if she ever left him? Don't leave me waiting here. <laughs> Lead me to your door. <laughs> this is an amazing song. And an emotional song. And you have to have somebody that can convey that emotion to bring it to justice. And that's what Billy Ocean did. Amazing song. And, and you can't go wrong with either the Beatles version or Billy Ocean's version. I love both versions. If you put a gun to my head, I'm going to go with Billy Ocean's version. But I'm not going to argue with you if you say Paul McCartney's lead vocals on that, on that Beatles song is the better one. Because it's the original one. And Paul hit a home run with that song. And the reason why that song stands the test of time is because it's marking the end of an era the Beatles dominated music from 64 to 1970 that was the last single of that illustrious run so emotionally yes you can say that that Beatles song is the better song but if you want to talk about raw vocals and a man just pouring his heart out for the woman he loves. She left him and he would do anything to lead back to that door. I've... The wild and windy night that the rain washed away has left a pool of tears crying for the day. Why leave me standing here? <laughs> oh, man. I could play this song on a loop just by itself over and over again and I get I never get tired of it. Amazing cover by Billy Ocean of one of the greatest songs ever written. Um a long and winding road. That Beatles song that that's a Spistonian Institute type song. That that's a rock and roll Hall of Fame standalone song. It's an amazing song. Kudos to the legendary Paul McCartney because he killed those vocals. Billy Ocean flipped it in his own way and made it just as remarkable, just as incredible. And it's and it's criminal that this song didn't get the love on the radio stations it deserved. The pop stations like Z100 didn't play it. And Kiss FM and... and Storm 
So thankfully, I purchased the the album on cassette, and years later, of course, um, bought the Billy Ocean's Greatest Hits. I I uh, uh, burnt it onto my um, iTunes, and to this day, I have played that song more than any other Billy Ocean song in my lifetime. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's see what's up next. Because I could talk all day about the greatness of a long and winding road. Beautiful homage that Billy Ocean paid to the Beatles with that song. All right. Let me see what's next. Oh, okay. All right. We're going we're gonna to leave the love songs alone for a minute. Another interview Billy Ocean talks about when the going gets tough. And then we're going to hear... His incredible dance hit, When the Going Gets Tough. And we'll come back and talk all about it on the other side. Hi, I'm Billy Ocean, and this is the story of When the Going Gets Tough. I was doing the Love Zone album. And we were very close to finishing the album. And I was working with Mutt Langer, Barry Eastman, and, and Wayne Brathwaite. And Clive Cole is, uh, is the, the boss of the company. He said, how would you all like to do the sequel to Jewel of the Nile? No, to Romance of the Stone, I'm sorry. And the sequel was actually Jewel of the Nile. We said, yeah. And I think we sort of got the whole thing together in about four days. They gave us clips and we looked at the clips and we sort of um, based, based, based the ideas, the lyrical, you know, melodic ideas on what we thought, you know, should be the right theme and the right sort of approach rather, the right approach for the film and, and we, we did it and it was liked. It was a kind of a different, a, a totally different inspiration in the sense that you're writing a song for an album but this time you're writing a song for a film. The song, the lyrics and everything else is attached to something that whereas when you write a, 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 an average song, it's not attached to anything, but more your emotion and your inspiration and your dream basically. This time, you're writing to something, so it is slightly different. It's my favorite video. You know, on the video, you, I've got Michael Jackson, Michael, Michael Douglas, <laughs> Michael Douglas. I've got um, um, Danny DeVito, Kathleen Turner. I mean, who else can say that? And the effort they put into in, into making this video, all dressed in white. They they sort of did all the all the routine. They learned all the all the um, backing vocals, lip perfect. Nothing I can say, it's just, I still look at that video and still love it. The video was a bit bad, it could have been bad, but I know that, I know that um, they were, we weren't allowed to do it on top of the pops because, you know, it would have been really fun because Danny DeVito is about this high and the saxophone is about this big. 
So it was very funny. But because he wasn't a member of the musician union, they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow us to use it. It's a good song, you know, number one, but I think it also has, it has a meaning, it, it has a meaning of, of, um, of inspiration for people, basically. When the going gets tough, the tough bit, uh, don't give up, you know, just, you know, just keep on, just, you know, just keep on going, be inspired, basically. Um, I think, really and truly, it's something that will, will be relevant to every generation. That, that will never change. When the going gets tough, the tough gets good. That will never change. That's life. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, going, going. going.
just like the 1990s, the 1980s really focused on soundtracks and hit songs for hit movies. We all know about the 1990s soundtracks of Boomerang and Soul Food and Waiting to Exhale, um, amongst several great movies that came out in the 90s with great soundtracks. The 1980s was no exception. And When the Going Gets Tough was a massive hit off the Jewel of the Nile soundtrack. And like Soul Food and Boomerang and Waiting to Exhale, a hit song meant more money for that particular movie's box office. I talked all about it on the Whitney Houston, The Night She Died podcast. The the Bodyguard soundtrack helped turn the Bodyguard movie into a $400 million bonanza at the box office in 1993. 30 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, that movie made $411 million. And I don't know what the math is as far as $2,024 dollars are concerned, but it's got to be at least a billion dollars in box office revenue if you bring in inflation 31 years later. Now, when the going gets tough, not only propelled Jewel of the Nile to become a cult classic and a box office success, it was another massive hit in the long, um, not in the long, but in the now two-year run of Billy Ocean. Look, it's, no, my bad. It's one year because Billy Ocean exploded in the fall of 1985. We're talking, well, his career started in 1976, but I'm talking about pop success in the United States. Nights came out in 1981. That was a um, moderate success. But as far as him exploding onto the international scene, it was Caribbean Queen in the fall of 84, followed by Loverboy, followed by Suddenly. And now the going gets tough that comes out in the fall of 1985 as a way of accompanying the movie Jewel of the Nile. It's another incredible hit for Billy Ocean, and it continues this a, a little bit over 12-month run of hit after hit after hit in the era of the greatest pop music era of all time. In the fall of 1985, he's competing with the Phil Collinses, the Shaw Days, the, the Duran Durans, the, uh, the Police, He's competing with all Madonna. He's competing with all these great pop acts. And yet he continues to shine and he continues to sell records and have incredible hits during this time period. The Going Gets Tough was number one in the UK. It was number one on the adult contemporary billboard charts. It was number two on the top 40 billboard charts. It was number six on the R&B charts. Another massive hit for Billy Ocean. And it would 
be the first single that will be recognized on the Love Zone album. And what I loved about the Love Zone album, while the Love Zone album still had some great pop hits like When the Going Gets Tough, similar to the Suddenly album, the Love Zone album focused on ballads. And when I bought this album, when it came out on May 6th, I bought it on my 18th birthday, May 7th. May 7th, 1986, I registered for the draft because back then, I don't know about today, but back then, if you didn't register for your draft for the draft on your 18th birthday, May 7th, 1986 was my 18th birthday, you could not get federal funding for student loans. You couldn't get federal student loans or grants to help pay for your college education. I'd been already accepted to Loyola University in New Orleans. I didn't want anything uh, getting in the way of that because I needed every dime because my family wasn't rich. My father was working full-time, but we were living in the projects. And in order to make ends meet, my mother had to uh, lie and say she was separated and she was collecting welfare at the time in order for us to make ends meet. And I was working after school as well. And I wasn't getting any allowance from my parents. I went and got a job so my parents could use my month, my father's money, his, his salary, to give my three siblings, my sisters Christine and Melissa, my brother Charlie, allowance money. They get the allowance money and the money I make from work, I give my mother a little bit, kid her off. Like if I made a hundred dollars in a week back in 1986, I gave my mother 20, the other 80 I uh, spent <laughs> as whatever I could. I took out a one, took out a young lady on a date, save up for a concert, or on my birthday go to the Wiz record store near Third Avenue and 152nd Street in the Bronx. Of course, that record store no longer there. The Wiz was a combination record store and electronic store went and bought on my 18th birthday the album that came out the day before the love zone album by billy ocean and as soon as i started playing it i couldn't stop playing that album that album was full of ballads even at 18 i turned 18 that day i was lover of, i was a lover of ballads at eight Ballads have, has always been my go-to music. Yes, I listened to hip-hop back then, and I listened to a lot of hip-hop in the 90s, but my favorite type of music are the soul ballads, especially the heartbreak ballads. And there's a specific song on this album that we'll talk about in an uh, upcoming segment that would be my second favorite Billy Ocean song of all time. And... This album would also help a friend of mine, and I'll talk about him maybe in the next segment, definitely, if not the next segment, the segment after. I met a friend in New Orleans when I went to Loyola, and the brother was falling on hard times. He was homeless. I'll talk about how my roommate and I helped him and um, how... Almost 40 years later, that brother is doing phenomenal. I'll talk all about it. Right now, we're going to listen to another interview. Let me, uh, matter of fact, I've got to go back. 
I had a, I had exited I had exited I had exited uh, the list here. Let me get back to the list. Okay, I'm back up on the list. What are we going to do right now? We are going to uh, listen to another Billy Ocean interview. And then we're going to play my second favorite Billy Ocean songs of all time. They'll be sad songs. And never too late to try. And then when we come back, I'm going to talk about the uh, the majesty of There'll Be Sad Songs. I will talk about Never Too Late to Try. And I will talk about my friend Cubit, who in the fall of 1986 was down on his luck. And it began with a woman breaking his heart. And he almost completely collapsed as a human being. We'll talk all about it, and we'll talk about brotherhood and how three black men came together and gave this man a place to stay so he can get back up on his feet. We'll talk all about it on the other side. Billy Ocean has written and recorded some of the happiest, most memorable and catchiest songs of all time. From Caribbean Queen and Loverboy to When the Going Gets Tough. Billy is currently on tour in the country and I sat down with him to find out the secrets behind some of his biggest hits. He also let me in on a few surprises. What an absolute treat to be talking to you today. Thank you thank so you, much. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. All of the gang downstairs knows I'm, I'm lucky enough to be talking to you today and all I've heard around the office today is people humming, whistling and singing all different songs. <laughs> is that joyous for you too, that, that people all over the world hear your name and yeah, of course. songs pop into their heads? Of course. One of the nicest things for me is to be hearing the songs on the radio. Another, another joy is like when I go out and do concerts, have all the people singing the songs. I mean, what could be better than that? What was the very first song of yours you heard on the radio? Love Really Goes Without You, back in 76. And was that also the first song you ever wrote? First professional song that I wrote. Oh, what's the difference between a professional song? Well, a professional song is when you know what you're doing, basically. Oh, OK. The others, you're just sort of doing what you think is right. The first one that becomes as a full successful is your first professional song. did Love Really Hurt Without? Who did you write it about? Well, I did... The, the person who really became my wife eventually, I suppose it, had, it was inspired by her, I guess. I'd, I'd like to think so. Well, she, a, she would like to think that is. Did you have a bit of a breakup or something? A little, or? You know, you, you do, don't you? Yeah. You, you sort of fall in and out when you're that age. I knew my wife since she was... I was 15 and she was 13. So it's been a long... It's been a long... Childhood sweethearts. Long relationship. Long relationship. How long have you been married? I don't know, you know. It's to me that's a while. To me and a while. To me that's unimportant. The fact that we're still together, the fact we still got this thing going, this relationship going, we've got grandchildren, we've got kids, so to me that's more important than knowing how long. Who's 
the Caribbean queens. <laughs> Is that your wife too? I suppose she has to be. <laughs> but there are plenty of Caribbean queens, right? There sure yeah, are. Some beautiful Caribbean queens out there. I know you wrote when the going gets tough, the tough get going for um, Jewel of the Nile. Yeah. Did you get to interact with, with Michael Douglas Very and much. Kathleen Turner? With Michael Douglas, Dan and, uh, and Kathleen Turner. And they came over from Los Angeles and was really dubious about what the whole response was going to be or the interaction was going to be, but it worked out to be incredible. It's my best video. Enjoy the process of writing for a Hollywood movie like that? I mean, yeah, it's great. I mean, mind. there's not very many things that I step out of my musical box to do. I might be asked to do films, I've been asked to do that. I'm not interested in anything really but doing the music. But to be asked to write for a film, I think that's that's something exceptional. Suddenly Something else that people like to use music for is advertising. And you have a, a pretty firm view. You, d you don't want any of your songs linked with selling alcohol. Right, that's right. Why is that? We've got enough problems in this world. We've, we've got enough problems based on economy, basically. People wanted to make money off the wrong things, basically. Why should I encourage when I can get money or whatever elsewhere as a songwriter? Horror, this thing's amazing! They put Billy Ocean in a box! There are other advertisement that my songs can be used in, like which it has been used in. Things like advertising chocolate, advertising cars, advertising, even McDonald's was the latest one. Which, what did McDonald's use? Which song? You would not believe it, suddenly. Oh, really? The suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> collaborated a bit with Matt Lang. That's right. We did Get Out of My Dreams, Tough, Lover Boy, License to Chill, great producer. He did a lot of work with the seminal Australian band ACDC. One of my favourite bands, by the way. Indeed. ACDC. Do you know the guys? Have you met no, them? No, I don't. I you don't just know. like them. ACDC. I know a few ACDC men at work, but of course we know the Bee Gees, people like Oliver Newton-John. A lot of great music have come out of Australia. But working with Mutt, what was that like for you? You guys seem to have a good relationship. Yeah. He hears a complete record in his head before it's finished. There were a few people like that. Incredible producer. Hard to work with. Okay. Very demanding. To work with uh, Mutt, you have to be prepared to go through the mill, basically. But the end result yeah. is going to be excellent. It's well worth it. Songs about girls and cars go way, way back, but yours was a unique take. Thank you. I must admit that was a mutt idea. Was the, it, was yeah, it? the title. But you know, the interesting thing you said about girls and cars, when the song came out in England, they wouldn't play it on the radio because they reckon it would encourage kids to get into people's cars. Oh, as in hitchhiking? As in, yeah, that sort of vibe, that oh. sort of thing. You know, but it didn't stop it from being a hit, basically. But getting banned can sometimes, sometimes not be work. a bad That's right. Idea. That's right. There you go. songs are predominantly happy and again I think that's why people hum them and sing them around the office when, when they think of it because they, they're, they're happy. Why, why do you think that is? Because I'm a happy person. 
really? Yeah, I mean, why be self-indulgent and sing about problematic things? Music is supposed to be something of happiness, make people happy. Hit after hit. hit after hit after hit. Unbelievable. That is amazing. What I was just a looking up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, you know, Get Out of My Dreams, Get Into My Car did better in on the US Billboard charts than when they go and get tough. Huh. Well, there you it go. Went from two, two to one. I was just checking that because I'm like borderline it. autistic. Listen, I also um, discovered that Billy was a vegetarian. So um, I picked up that great recipe from Poe earlier in the week. Take a look. Mm. I made a great kale, tomato and lentil soup last night with a little bit of mustard powder and chilli that is fantastic. I'm available for dinner, you know, just give me a shout. Okay, <laughs> come on over. <laughs> Lovely. That'd be awesome. Thank you. you have to sing for your supper, though. I will sing. Okay. I'll sing, sing your lullaby. Oh, darn, that's a deal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thanks, thank you very much. Angela. My weekend's oh. Way to go. That's amazing. Get That's out of his yeah. dreams. <laughs> Very happily married, as we know, to he just likes the sound of a good vegetarian meal. Billy mm. kicks off his all the Supper hits time. tour tomorrow night in Queensland before heading right around the country. And the Chantuzies, <laughs> oh, friends of the show, are his special guests in Melbourne. So head to Leonard Promotions or Melon Events for details. Don't miss it. Wow, uh, that was a fish. Sometimes I wonder by the look in your eyes When I'm standing beside you There's a fever burning deep inside Is there another in your memory? Do you think of that someone When you hear that special melody? I always stop and think of you especially Someone new Say
Adele B. Sad Songs to Make You Cry is one of the greatest ballads Billy Ocean ever did. My second favorite song by him, Long and Winding Road, being my favorite that I just spoke about in the previous on a previous segment. I've always loved the heartbreak ballads more than the traditional love-making I love you ballads. And sad, there'll be sad songs is, is a perfect example of type of songs I love. My favorite type of ballads, the heartbreak ballads. And this song, masterfully written again by Billy Ocean, this time he's joined by Wayne Brathwaite and Barry Eastman. They are the main songwriters, the three of them, on the Love Zone album, an album that was full of great ballads, iconic ballads, and this is the first of them. There'll be sad songs to make you cry. Love songs often do who they can. Now, I don't think the legendary Billy Ocean ever got his heart broken. Because he met the love of his life when he was 15 years old. He lived the life I thought I would. I, I told you guys that when my parents were 14, they met the first woman my father fell in love with. And they got married at 18. And they were together until my father died in 2000 when both my parents were 52. So they were married 34, year, 34 years. They knew each other 38 years. Billy Ocean met his future wife when she was 13. He was 15. They were 26 and 24 respect, respectfully when they got married. This was the 48th year of their wedding. The 59th year of them meeting each other for the first time. Billy Ocean will be 74 in a few days as I record, in five days from this recording. I thought that would be me because I saw my parents and I figured the first woman I'd fall in love with, boom, I'd get married. Well, the first woman I fell in love, fell in love with, uh... She was dating a drug dealer that was way too old for her, and she wound up choosing him over me, all right? So I didn't fall in love with the first woman. I I didn't marry the first woman I fell in love with, and then I started dating and being a hoe and getting a woman that I didn't love pregnant and living with her and constantly cheating on her and then she became a drug addict so then I became a single father and so there was one sad song after another this song basically is part of my autobiography there'll be sad songs to make you cry sometimes I wonder until that day and then whenever I've gotten my heart broken or I've ended a relationship that could no longer go on, this song will remind me of the good times. Because this song is Billy singing about a relationship that didn't, that, that didn't end, but that sometimes I think of you when I hear a mel certain melody. In the words of a touch the very Delpy sad songs to make you cry. Love songs often do. A masterpiece of a song. And this was a, the Love Zone album is, in my opinion, 
the finest work ever done by Billy Ocean because it deals with basically love songs. And we'll be talking about a lot of them on this podcast. The next song that we played was It's Never Too Late to Try. Once again, Brathway, Eastman, and Ocean. And this song reminds me of my freshman year at Loyola University. There was a guy who had failed out of school. He was on, well, he didn't fail out. He was on, he was on, how do you say it? He was on academic probation and then they, uh, he was on ac academic suspension. Young brother named Cubit. I was 18, he was 19. And he came to visit me and my roommate, Dean. He knew Dean from a year before because him and Dean were freshmen together. Dean was a sophomore, I was a freshman. And he asked Dean, could he spend the night because he had lost his apartment. Cubit spend the night. The next morning, Cubit grabbed me and said, look, um, do you mind if I stay with you guys? I lost my apartment. I've got nowhere to go. My parents live in Live Oak, Florida, but I don't even have the money to go back to Live Oak. I need a job, and I need to be able to save up money so I can get an apartment. Can you do that for me, brother? Cupid was a good dude. And I said, yo, you know what? Yes, you can. There was a brother down the hall named Rick that knew Cupid. Rick came by and knocked on the door, and he already realized that Cubit was uh, homeless. And so he gave Cubit an air mattress he had. They filled it up, and Cubit slept on that air mattress for the rest of that semester. And by the end of December, when I was ready to go home for Christmas break, Cubit had gotten a job as a teller at a bank. And was able to get an apartment. Him and Rick went and got an apartment together. And Rick moved out of the dorms in late December when the semester ended. And him and Cubit got an apartment. Um, I'm trying to remember where the apartment was in uh, New Orleans. It was towards uh, the University of New Orleans. So it would be in the lakefront area, area of the city of New Orleans. Um Cubit would tell me every night as we sit back, Cubit would make us food and we laugh and watch TV. Cubit would help help me study with, with, with my with my um psychology class because he was a psych major. And Cubit would talk about how he dated this girl, Yvette, his freshman year. And Yvette broke his heart by cheating and leaving him with his best friend, Greg. And he would give give me stories every night, and he warned me about falling in love with the wrong woman, falling in love with a fast woman because Yvette was fast. And Cupid told me that he almost gave up on life, but what helped him get through life was that Love Zone album that he played over and over again when he was in Live Oak the the summer of eight uh the summer before I started the summer of '86 right before I started in the fall of 86, going to Loyola. And came and came back to New Orleans thinking he can get back into school, but they told him, no, 
he's on academic suspension. He, he went and he was in an apartment. He got an apartment off of money that his father had given him, but he ran out in September. And so now he needed a place to stay. And we would play that Love Zone album at night, and he'd sing along to, There'll be sad songs to make you cry, and never too late to try. And whenever I hear Never Too, too Late to Try, I think about Cubit, and I think about the hardship he went through, and I think about how he turned his life around. And today, in 2024, in the town that he grew up in, in Live Oak, Florida, he owns a landscaping business. Ladies and gentlemen, even when you're at your wit's end, there are people there that can help you. Rick Dean and I made sure that Cupid had a place to stay while he got himself together because there was no place else for him to go. He couldn't even get to Live Oak. Cubit had an older brother that would send him money as well. And one day, Cubit's brother got on the phone with me and told me that he appreciated my helping him. You got to help people. And I never asked Cubit for anything other than one. the one time I visited New Orleans in 1990. Cubit let me stay at his apartment that week so I didn't have to get a hotel room. That's the only thing I've asked the Cubit. Never asked Cubit for anything else. Because me, if I see that you need, I will do with nothing in return. And you can ask any woman I ever dated whenever I helped them. All I ask in return is that you do what you can to get your life together. Um, God bless Cubit. God bless Dean. God bless uh, Rick. And God bless another guy named Walter who stepped up and was there as well. So there was four black men helping a black man, a young black man, down and out at, at his lowest. And today, he's more successful than all of us. Thank God for great things. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my battery is about to run out, so I got to charge this sucker up. We'll be hearing uh, the legendary Donnie Simpson interview the great um, Billy Ocean. Then we're going to play two more legendary Billy Ocean ballads. And we'll talk all about it on the other side. Welcome back to Video Soul. My special guest became an apprentice cutter to a tailor while he was, <laughs> while he was in college. Well, he's since become an international star of recording, and his name, of course, is Billy Ocean. Welcome again to Billy to Video Soul. How you doing, Billy? Thank you. Good to see Good you, to man. See you. Always a pleasure. I like your cap too. That's too cool. <laughs> From London, no doubt. That's Let me right. see the back. The thing is, I had to get up early this morning. That sometimes I wear this as a cover when I. You get up early. You don't feel like doing anything to your hair. You just throw a cap on and hit the road. You know. <laughs> I know them days. Yeah. <laughs> I've had plenty of them. I got an assortment of hats like yeah. you wouldn't believe at home. But uh, things are still happening for you. Yeah, it's right. looking good. You know, I'm uh, out here present. I'm promoting my new album, mm -hmm. which is really made up of of the hits I've had over the years, the greatest hits album, mm -hmm. uh, with about three new tracks on it. 
Oh, really? What are the new tracks? Um, a License to Chill, which uh -huh. is a single present right. in someone else's bed. And um, Here's to You, which okay. is a ballad. Uh -huh. So sort of continuing the, the fashion, the trend of it. Well, Someone Else's Bed is a pretty interesting title. Yeah, it's, it's harmless. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's clean. Oh, it is clean? Clean, yes. I mean, <laughs> probably. I mean, it's a hot title, though. <laughs> but not as well. it's up-tempo. It's, um, you know, it's up-tempo. It's a bit more gutsy than License to Chill. And it's, it's, um, it's something I thought would, would, would uh, warrant the balance of the album. Mm -hmm. You Because know, it's very difficult having a greatest hits album and trying to match up some new songs to it. Yeah. I had a choice of either putting it out as it was, as a greatest hits, which then... Um, there probably would be no need for me to come out and promote the mm -hmm. album, but mm -hmm. with the new singles, so there's a reason to come out and say hello to a few people, etc., etc. Yeah, you know, you see that a lot where people put out uh, greatest hits albums. Uh, but nowadays, I remember in the old days it, when it was greatest hits, it was just all greatest hits, right, everything you'd right. heard before. Right. But now they always put two or three new things, things on there. Right. Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's fair. I think it's good too because um, you can put out a greatest hits just by itself mm -hmm. and. Really, everything on there, people have heard before. So I, I, I believe I, I believe the reason for it is that a lot of uh, radio people, uh, for example, would probably bypass that and play something that is current. Mm -hmm. So it's really it's mm -hmm. really using the, mod, uh, the the brand new tracks to, to sort of promote the album, and the album in turn is promoting the new stuff. So they're yeah, both, right. both crashing so each other's back. Yeah. yeah. So it's an interesting concept. The other thing I notice is that they always come out just in time for Christmas. Well, this is my first one. <laughs> first, this is my first Christmas album. I've never had one before, mm -hmm. and I think it can be a better choice, really, because um, I'm sure with a lot of the bigger artists that's floating around, to come out with a brand new album would be very difficult. But I think with the greatest hits album, I stand at least a fair chance of getting some of the cake, mm -hmm. a piece of the cake, mm -hmm. a big Christmas cake. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been recording now? Uh, professionally since 1976. That's when I had my first hit single, something called Love Really Hits Without You, which I believe got to number 12 in America, but it did very well in Europe, in England. What was the name of it? Love Really Hurts Without You. Okay. It went dun 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 Really sort of tell nothing, you know? Because <laughs> that's what we were listening to then, in those days. Um, it was based on one of the Tamla riffs, etc, mm -hmm. etc. Et anyway. mm -hmm. Baby, love really hurts without you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember, remember that. Remember that? Yeah. Love really hurts without you. Yeah. That, that song, I had, I was sitting on for about, I don't know, four or five years before the producer, that he was the first professional producer I'd worked with, mm -hmm. and I took it to him, and he liked it, and we finished it. And it became a single, and it became a successful record. And that, and the song, and, and the reason how I got that song is because I borrowed uh, 30 pounds from the very first job that I worked at. Oh, really? And he only lent me 30 pounds to buy a piano. <laughs> and I started learning this piano, and I came up with a song, and, you know, and I've been learning and writing ever since. It's one of them sort of... So you do most of the writing? Yeah. Or yeah. You, do you write everything I do that you everything. record? I do everything. You know, I collaborate with other people, or however it comes, that I write everything that, that I sing, except one, which, which one? was uh, The Long and Winding Road, which uh -huh. was on the uh, Suddenly album, uh -huh. written by Lennon McCartney. Right. But everything else I've ever recorded. Okay. What about Love Zone? That's uh, that's one of my all-time favorites by you. I have two favorites actually. Yeah, that one and Mystery Lady. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you see, you're a love man. 
Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Hopeless romantic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> love but Zone, what can I say about Love Zone? With the second, that, was, that was the second album. Mm-hmm. That was the title of the second album. It goes down very well in the show. You know, that and Mystery Lady helps to balance the show out. Mm-hmm. It sort of gives me that sort of mid-tempo. Right. You know, during a concert and then, you know, pick it up with things like but Tough and Get Into My Car. Mm-hmm. But what, what, was, what was going on in your life when you wrote Love Zone? What was going on in my life? <laughs> I don't know, really. So it wasn't anything. I mean, it wasn't Nothing a personal except, experience. That no, it doesn't have to be. Special person that you were dealing with, or no, anything like it that. It doesn't have to be because I've been dealing with the same person now for about 50 years, which is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not saying I run out of uh, inspiration as far as love is concerned. But you know, a lot of um, a lot of the songs that I write, and I think a lot of people too, comes from other people's experience. And you know, the mind is to imagine and to dream. We live in an age now where there's so much being fed to us in the form of videos and, and, and especially videos mm-hmm. that you can imagine your own concepts through and you're seeing it, you know, it's other people's experiences you mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. imagine because yeah. we're all the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's take a look at Love Zone now. This is Billy Ocean on Video Saw. Welcome back to Video Soul. I'm Donnie Simpson. We're talking with Billy Ocean. <laughs> do you write? I know you write the lyrics. Do you write the music as well for all yeah, your songs? Yeah, I do everything. I do everything with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I write words. I write music, and we do it together. Yeah. You know, what instruments? When, you, when you're writing with somebody, it's very hard to define exactly what each each person is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody might might contribute just a couple of lines or something, but it's just the bit the song needed to to take it to that yeah. other dimension, basically. Yeah. It's very difficult to... Sorry, you said to me? No, I was asking you, do you play? You play instruments? Yeah, I play piano, guitar, mm-hmm. drums, bass, but I prefer the guitar because it's something I can travel with and improve on because I'm not really good at any of them more than to get ideas to... Ah, so, so that's all you use it for. So uh, yeah. when you're recording, I mean, you don't actually play guitar in your No, record. I mean, there's some, you know, better musicians around. Yeah. So I use them. Yeah. You know? What about in stage? Do you ever pick it up when you're in concert? No, not yet. Not yet. But you want to? At some stage, yes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do anything ambitious because I'm, uh, I'm not that good. Yeah. But, you know, say, for example, it would be nice to be able to learn the piano part for suddenly mm. and do it good enough, you know, because mm-hmm. it's a simple song. I'm talking about the simple things like ballads and things like that mm-hmm. at some stage. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I've seen some artists do that where you can tell they really don't play That's right, that yeah. well, but they play enough to, you know, start the song or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Now, you were born in Trinidad, right? That's right. And, and you moved to London when you were how old? I was nine years old. I've been living there for 30 years, well, over th- just over 30 years now. Oh, okay. Makes See, 39, great turn to big 4 old. <laughs> <laughs> when is your birthday? It's good mathematics, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I was always good math. I was going to trick you and say 28. <laughs> <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> Where's my birthday? 21st of January. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So it's coming up soon. Coming up soon, yeah. Next so, year I'll be 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what is it like approaching that? I mean, do you do you give it any thought? What's is it that, like? Is it no, a big deal to you? No, I don't. You know, no, it really doesn't. It never was. I mean, I know I see my beard and all that, but you know, this was like the since I was since Caribbean. No, this was like this since I was six years old. <laughs> You, you had a great gold tea when you were six. <laughs> no, yeah. This happened, this in fact was like going like this since before Caribbean Queen. Uh -huh. But I used to diet and diet and then you know, I just thought to myself, man, I just run out of boot polish. <laughs> so, no, you know, my wife likes it, my kids like it, you know. But then I'm the person that should be rejecting or accepting it more than anyone else. And I feel mm -hmm. great, you know. It's like, it's almost coming to terms with oneself, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, this is something that is uh, hereditary in my family. Since I was 13, oh, really? I was, yeah, I was trying to sh show signs of grace all over. So I knew eventually this would happen. Mystery. 
I just played part one of an interview that Billy Ocean did late 1989, around Christmas time, 1989, on one of my all-time favorite interview slash music video shows, Video Soul, that used to air on BET back in the day. And he's very candid about his love of music, his love of his family, and he proves just how humble he is as a person. This is a man who became a huge star in Trinidad, in Great Britain, in the United States, internationally, and yet it never got to his head. Never got to his head. He was always concerned with his wife and three kids, and he mentioned the ages of his kids. His oldest kid at that time was 10, so if his child was born in 1979, that means his uh, child, him and his wife's oldest child will be 45 this year and I think the baby was 2 so the baby would be uh, was born in 86 the baby would be 38 this year so it's you know it's amazing how time flies amazing amazing and um, he's been an incredible incredible husband and wife I mean, an incredible husband to his wife and an incredible father to his children. You could just tell by the interview with Donnie Simpson. Um, I'll play the second half of that interview right after um, I finish this segment. Love Zone, the first song I played after the interview, is a magnificent ballad about him wanting to be in the love zone with this woman that he's fallen in love with. And once again, written by the trio of Billy Ocean, Barry Eastman, and Wayne Brathwaite. Uh, let me talk a little bit about Brent, uh, Wayne Brathwaite. He was another Trini-born singer-musician, songwriter. And uh, he collaborated with Billy Ocean on this Love Zone album and did magnificent work with Billy Ocean. All of the recordings occurred in 1985. Unfortunately, Wayne Brathwaite would die five years after this album was released in 1991 at the tender age of 31, 32. He was a young man. And I still do not know what he died of. It was a mysterious illness and it's never been revealed. He died in New York. He had was living in Brooklyn at the time. And a lot of death surrounded Billy Ocean's life. I'll talk more about that on the final segment of this podcast. Um, two of his greatest collaborators died young, as well as a very, very important person in his life, which combined led to Billy taking a sabbatical from the music business. And I'll talk more about that on the final segment of this podcast, the, the next segment, the final segment. But let me get back to Love Zone. The three of them, Eastman, Brathwaite, and Ocean, put together a masterpiece of a song in Love Zone, which was the perfect title song for the album Love Zone because Love Zone was predominantly a ballads album. 
you look at the album, other than when the going gets tough, it's centered around love. Whether it's the breaking up of a relationship or coming together as one. Love Zone is a song about Billy's desires for this woman he just met, started courting. And he wants her and him and her to get in the love zone. We don't have to be alone. You'll never be alone. Yeah, you don't have to be alone. Together we could live and learn in the love zone. I'll keep you warm that night and day. Come rest your head on the shoulder. Beautifully done. Beautifully written. Billy Ocean was a poet. He was a poet who could sing those songs he wrote on a piece of paper. And he does it so romantically and so passionately because, as he mentioned in prior interviews on this podcast that you heard, it's all inspired by the love of his life, his wife. Just amazing. Just amazing um, that uh, Billy Ocean was was always and still is in love with his wife. Um, kudos to that marriage. And I want to mention this right now. Before I forget, because I will forget, because my mind forgets. He married his wife, Judy. Him and his wife, Judy, have been together and have known each other for 40, no, 59 years, ladies and gentlemen. And I was mistaken. I thought they were married in 1976, so they got married in 1978. So this is the 46-year wedding anniversary coming up for the Charles, Leslie Charles and Judy Charles, a.k.a. Mr. and Mrs. Ocean. It, it's very reminiscent of two other great singers from that era who were married for over 40 years. We have, of course, the great Jeffrey Osborne, and you could check out his musical tribute podcast, that I did. He's been married for over 40 years to his beautiful wife. And a lot of the music that he sung, both with LTD and as a solo artist, you can tell those songs were based on his love for his wife. And a man who died five years ago, way too early, of brain cancer at the tender age of 66. One of the greatest baritones of all time, one of the greatest voices of all time, a Quincy Jones protege, protege, protege. I'm fucking up the man, these words, protege. And a man who, Keith Diamond, who collaborated with Billy Ocean on the Suddenly album. Keith Diamond produced the entire 1986 Never Felt So Good album for this man I'm about to mention. Another man who was married for 44 to 45 years before he passed away way too young five years ago. And that is the legendary James Ingram. So James Ingram, Billy Ocean, and Jeffrey Osborne, all with marriages of over 40 years. All 
sang incredible ballads, adult contemporary favorites of the mid to late 1980s. There's no coincidence there, ladies and gentlemen. These men had incredible careers. These men sung incredible music because they were in incredible love affairs. They were in incredible marriages. They had an incredible romantic partner that they could feed off of, that they could use as an inspiration to make beautiful love songs. Like Love Zone. Like Love Zone. And like the song I played after Love Zone, Love is Forever. Love is Forever is a beautiful song. Beautiful. Girl, I... Love Love is Forever is such a beautiful song. It makes me cry thinking about this song because I've been there. I've been there. I was with the, I was there with my ex when seven and a half years ago we broke up for the first time and for an entire year I was living this Love Is Forever song. I believe in love, girl, I believe in you. Things you do, falling in love with you. Love is Forever is a song about a man who gets his heart broken by the love of his life. And then he's trying to rekindle that flame. And he's mentioning love is forever. His love for that woman is forever. And I feel that he wrote this song based on his love for his wife, Judy. And if he ever lost her, this would what he'd be going through. Things you do, falling in love again with you. A broken heart can mend if given time. (laughs) I know why. Love is forever. Love is forever with you. Words cannot express the master poet Billy Ocean was. The gift that he gave to me and millions of music fans in the 1980s, in that era. Well, someone just called me, but that number I do not recognize. And if that number calls me again, I'm blocking it because I don't know who the fuck that was. All right. <laughs> area code 307. I don't know where area code 307 is from, but I don't know anybody in that area code. Anyway, back to, back to the program. I digress. Love is Forever is a beautiful, beautiful ballad, and it's part heartache, but also part love song, as it's a man who is falling in love with the woman that broke his heart, and things look promising. His love for her is forever, and in return, hopefully, her love is forever for him beautiful song and when I think of that song and I think of all the great love songs that I've played on this podcast that Billy Ocean wrote and recorded sung masterfully he was a gift God gave us a gift in the 1980s named Leslie Charles aka Billy Ocean and the man will be 74 years old five days from when I record this and he's too humble a man to realize the joy he gave to millions 
of music fans throughout the world. And still to this day, people from my generation that play his music. People all over the world that go see Billy Ocean in concert because he tours the world. In his early, now mid-70s. An amazing man on the level of a James Ingram, of a Jeffrey Osborne in terms of mature music for people who love mature music. Now we're going to play part two of the interview he did with Donnie Simpson on video, uh, v, uh, video Soul back in 1989, late 1989, the summer of 89. Then we're going to play Get Out of My Dreams and Get Into My Car, the last number one song of his career. And then when we come back, I will talk about the aftermath of his great success that ended in 1989 with that Greatest Hits album and the reasons why he took a sabbatical from music for many, many years. We'll talk all about it on the other side. And like, I just thought, well, you know, just let nature take, take its natural course. Yeah. Yeah. You never get any pressure from the record company or anything saying, well, you know, you're starting to look a little older because of the gray. We need to, you know, no, keep well, coloring it in for image purposes. No, that's, no, that's, that's my personal life. Mm -hmm. That's out of the, the yeah. restriction, yeah. Right. That's nothing to do with nobody. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a look at another video now from Billy Ocean. This one's called, and I, ha I tell you, I, had, I cracked up when I first heard this title. It's like, get out of my dreams, get into my car. Okay. <laughs> Billy Ocean on Video Soul. back with Billy Ocean. I haven't heard that song in a long time. Me it's neither. Me neither. I was just sitting here looking at all the videos I've done over the years because I don't normally get a chance to do that. Yeah. You don't have to come back to your show more often. <laughs> so you can see your old <laughs> videos. Huh? So do you enjoy him when you get to, get to see him? And I mean, like uh, Caribbean Queen, which was like six yeah, years ago. Now. That's right. I haven't seen any of them. I mean, the only chance I, that I get to see them is like if the kids put them all at home. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's very rare that I... Um, play my old videos, unless it's really current and I'm looking, you know, searching for ideas in it, if I've got a television to do. Mm -hmm. And once that's over, it's like, I'm on to the next thing. Yeah. It doesn't mean I don't like it. Yeah. It's nothing to do with that. It's, it's the same as my music. I never really sit down and listen to things I've done in the past, not yet. So you have three kids, right? Three kids. How old are they? Ten. Uh, a girl of ten, her name is Cherie. A boy of seven, his name is Anthony, and a, a baby of two, Rachel. So do you get to spend a lot of time with them, or are you busy on the road, or what? Well, as much as I can. You know, I try and balance it out a bit. Yeah. You know, but really, any time is a long time to be away from your family. It could be yeah. three weeks, you know, like I would be this time. It could be a week. It could be months, really. But, you know, the things like telephone, you can keep in touch. Right. And maybe one day they might be beating me up, Scotty, or something. Like, hey, <laughs> back home and come back again. You'd be able to do a concert in New York, go home that yeah. night and come back well, the next morning. I mean, well, it's almost like that now because um, when Concord. I leave here on Saturday, yeah, I'm going back by Concord. So that's about only three and a half hours. 
So I can say I'll be home for lunch or something. Is, <laughs> I know. You can almost go home for lunch, so, forget something, come right, back come and back get and it and it. still make lunch. <laughs> so fast. Now, technology. During the break, we were talking about some of the other black British acts. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know uh, if, if you guys are really a close-knit family there, as some of the black British acts. Well, we are as close as... As close as we allowed, I suppose, because everybody's busy doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody's sort of going through the same um, I don't know, struggles to get plays on radio, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. But, you know, over the years, people have come through playing some very good music. I think out of it has come some very good music. People like Loose Ends, mm -hmm. and now we've got um, Soul to Soul, yeah. which I think is very innovative. Of um, you know, our music has always been based on what comes out of America. Mm -hmm. and I think it always will be that way, mm -hmm. right? But now we're adding our own little, you know, Caribbean touches to things, mm -hmm. and it's working out. You're you're a big fan of Bob Marley's, and oh. you were telling me during the break uh, just how good it makes you feel now to hear some of the rap artists using some of his. Yes, yes. Bob Marley is is a is a very special person for me, more than just a. A musician, mm -hmm. because he, his, through his music, he educated a lot, a lot of people to the truth of what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it gives me a lot of excitement now when I hear things like uh, rap. I hear the American kids doing rap, mm -hmm. and I hear them mentioning things like reggae man and things like um, <laughs> Haley Selassie, Rastafari, because all these things are that's our history. Yeah, that is our history. Mm -hmm. You know, like it or not, you know. Through over the period of years, we have, we tend to be, you know, over the years we've tend to be been ashamed of our own history, of our own selves. Mm -hmm. You know, him as a person brought back a lot of, um, brought us back, brought us a lot of respect, mm -hmm. you know, within ourselves. Okay. And the kids, you know, the, the 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 you know the rappers are taking that on. Rap now, I hear a lot of radio stations saying, yeah, we're not going to play rap, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. Well. I only sit and listen because that's how reggae started. Bob Marley, as a musician, and what he stood for, what he did, he should never have got through musically mm -hmm. because he would be regarded as somebody that is, you know, political, only because he's telling the truth. Well, rap is also regarded as something that's very political, only because they're telling the truth. But it's the kids talking about themselves, singing about themselves, mm -hmm. dealing with their own situation. So it's a music that is, it can only get bigger, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, I, th I guess it speaks to the power of both musics, I mean, Marley's and the rap. That's right. That despite right. that, you, you would think that these musics would never surface, they would but never they, surface. Have, they have, in a surface. major way. They have to surface. They cannot help being surfaced because um, music, new music has always come out of some form of, uh, what can I say, um, social revolution, mm -hmm. social revolution. Like punk came out of that, mm -hmm. rock and roll from way back, blues, classicals, everything. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, reggae was the same thing. It was like almost the voice of the third world, so mm -hmm. to speak, because mm -hmm. it came from that, you know, that side of the world. Well, reggae, um, the reggae rap now is the kids are talking about their own society and their own period. Mm -hmm. You know, it's basically the same thing. It's a, you know, it's a revolution. They all are down the street, can't get jobs, they can't get this, they can't get that, and all they get is like pressure. Yeah. So out of it comes rap, and it's great music. Because, you know, for the first time, you can actually say things. What it allows, it allows them to say a lot more lyrically than you can say in a song. Mm -hmm. You know, you're so restricted by bars and melodies. With, um, you know, it's poetry. Yeah. That in itself is something very old. But, you know, with a new, you know, a few ghetto beats and a few... Yeah. You know, I like the marriage of... 
of uh, reggae and rap on the Third World album, right. which was really nice. That's right. We're going to see you do some rap in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the middle well, of one of your ballads, maybe. <laughs> Well, I mean, I haven't got the kind of voice for a rap man like Barry White, he gets down there, right? Yeah. But I mean, what I did was, I cheated a little bit because in, um, in one of the tracks on the album, which is in someone else's bed, mm -hmm. I've got Fresh Prince and Jesse Jeff. Oh, do you really? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, that's my contribution to rap, I guess. Yeah. Well, good luck with it. Good luck Thank with the album much. and uh, the new single we're going to share in a minute, as a matter Thank of fact. You. And good. thanks again for being on the my show. Pleasure. Always a pleasure. Anytime. Thank All right. you very much. Billy Ocean, our guest today on Video Soul. This is his look.
Yeah, wonderful interview. Um, Donnie Simpson is one of the greatest interviewers of musical personalities in my lifetime. Video Soul, him and Sherry Carter did a great job of interviewing black artists and getting so much out of them, whether it was a Billy Ocean or a New Edition or a Jodeci, uh, R. Kelly and Aaliyah at the very early stage. In that interview, you could see the... Uh, Unfortunate chemistry between the two, and I'll leave it at that. Um, guy, you know, you name it, the Mary J. Blige, you name the artists from the mid 80s to the mid 90s, they appeared on Video Soul and they were treated with respect and dignity by Donnie Simpson and Cheryl Carter, and in doing so. Donnie and Cheryl got some very, very revealing answers from the questions they posed to the artists. And so this 17-minute interview I played in two parts was, um, was you know, a, a look into the humble nature of a Billy Ocean and his love of music, um, his love of Haley Selassie, um, Haley Selassie, um, Apologize to Grap Love out there if I misspoke and mispronounced uh, the legendary uh, founder and leader of the Rastafarian movement. Um, he talked glowingly about Bob Marley, and you could tell that Billy Ocean idolized Bob Marley. Um, Billy Ocean had to take a sabbatical after this greatest hits album came out um his last number one hit i played just before this segment get into get out of my dreams and into my car a huge pop hit 1988 and 1988 was a huge year in music maybe the single greatest year in music when you look at the rock acts the soul acts the pop acts the hip-hop acts that all came out with classic albums and for anyone having number one song in that year shows the magnitude of their greatness and the magnitude of their popularity. Billy Ocean was one was a such was one of those artists. In 1989, his mother died of ovarian cancer, and the, of course, me being a mama's boy, I understand why at the age of 39. Billy had to make a decision. He took a sabbatical. He didn't record another album for four years. Um, an album that he that uh, R. Kelly collaborated with him, with him on, and it was his last album on Jive Records. Before R. Kelly exploded on Jive Records, Billy Ocean was the man on Jive Records as far as R and B singers singer, singers go. Then um, R. Kelly took that mantle. R. Kelly. Uh, wrote and produced several songs on that album, but that album didn't do well commercial commercially. Didn't get any radio play. I'm gonna be honest with you. Didn't get any radio play in New York City. I don't know how much radio play got throughout the United States, despite the fact that um, R. Kelly had his imprint on it. And then after that, he didn't record for several years. Billy Ocean has said many a times that after his mother died. And then you had the unfortunate passing of Wayne 
Brathwaite, who was one of his major contributors. And in 1997, another one of his contributors, Keith Diamond, died of a heart attack at the age of 46. So uh, Wayne Brathwaite was only 32. Keith Diamond was 46. And the death of his of Billy's mother in 1989 all played a role, especially his mother's death, in Billy backing away from the music industry, backing away from making music, and instead deciding to stay home and raise his children and spend time with his beautiful wife, the love of his life. And it wasn't until, I don't know, the mid two, uh, early, two, early to mid-2000s that he made a comeback and he started touring again. And in the last 20, some, 20 to 22 years, Billy has toured the entire world and has made a lot of money touring because a star of Billy's magnitude, people my age throughout the world will go see because he represented our youth. He represented our early teens, our late teens, our early adulthood. And Billy's music was the soundtrack of my teenage years. Just, just like last week's episode that I did on Tony Braxton and Babyface's incredible 2014 album, Love, Marriage, and Divorce. That was a soundtrack to my relationship with the woman that I was with for eight and a half years, beginning in 2014. Billy Ocean's music in the 1980s was the soundtrack of my teen years and my early adulthood. Um, and even to this day, Love is Forever is a song that resonates in my life just less than a decade ago. Um, and the final song that I play, that, I will, um, that I'm about to play, The Color of Love, if I could write a poem about what I feel about love and what it has done for my life and the role it plays in my life, even to even today with the love of my life, Mia, right now. If I was to sum up what I feel about being in love, what love means to me, the color of love, it would be this song I'm about to play. The Color of Love by Billy Ocean. Another incredible ballad. And um, the last great ballad that he did during this era of his greatness, of his star being at an all-time high. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this look back at one of the most underrated great singers of our lifetimes, of all our of our lifetimes, of my lifetime, your lifetime, etc. The first legendary Trini breakthrough artist. He set he set a standard for a Marcel a, for a Foxy Brown, for a Nicki Minaj, for a Heather Headley. Other great legendary Trini artists. Um, he uh, brought a standard of excellence to balladeers. He set a standard that uh, many today are not upholding.
Billy Ocean's music is timeless. Love is Forever is better than any ballad that's being released right now. Color of Love, it, it, it's a poetic expression about what love means. How if he could paint a picture, oh, and how if I could paint a picture, it would all it would be about the color of love. Sad songs to make you cry. Love songs often do. His heart wrenching rendition of a love and winding road. And of course, his his tribute to uh Caribbean women all over the world in Caribbean Queen. No more love on the run. Love zone. Suddenly. All these great songs I played today. I hope you people appreciate the greatness of Billy Ocean. And if I were you guys after listening to this pod. If you can go buy his vinyls. But if you can't go stream his music on Apple and Spotify. Go to YouTube. Look at his music videos. Check out what I've been talking about for three and a half hours on this podcast. Just how great Billy Ocean was and how in an era where he had to compete with the Michael Jacksons, the Princes, the Sade's, the Madonnas, the Janet Jacksons, the Police, the Duran Durans, <laughs> the Culture Clubs, the George Michael Wham, Bobby Brown, New Edition. He had to compete with all those Legendary acts of the 1980s. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. He made his mark. And he stands among amongst those legends. As one of the greatest. Of the 1980s. Ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what. Episode I'll be doing next week. I gotta think about it. But we will be back next week. God willing. I want to wish Billy Ocean. A happy 74th birthday. And I want everybody out there to always continue to be blessed and be a blessing. Now on to the color of love. If I had to pay to picture. Show the world how true love can really be. I would use the brightest colors to create a vision of harmony.
colors of the rainbow. 